We've talked recently on this podcast about how sometimes forcing yourself to do specific things or forcing yourself to certain rules when you start writing a song can actually be something that can help you with your creativity and that sometimes constraints can actually help you with your creativity. And sort of on that idea, in this episode, we're going to talk about three different reasons why you should try to write a song without a chorus. That's right. Without a chorus. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I am your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. And today we are going to be talking about three reasons that you should write a song without a chorus. Now, to be clear, what I am saying, what I'm not saying is that you should write all your songs without choruses. A chorus is a super effective tool. Most songs have choruses for good reason, uh, but it is important sometimes to sort of uh, force yourself out of conventions that you may find yourself falling into, right? So if every single song you have, for example, goes verse, pre-chorus, chorus, uh, you know, you always use a pre-chorus, or at least you always have a chorus, right? Um most of the time, I think naturally we tend towards, uh, you know, sometimes having a pre-chorus, sometimes not. Sometimes our verse goes right into our chorus. That tends to happen naturally. Probably, probably you don't have all your songs either without a pre-chorus or with a pre-chorus. I'm guessing you have a mix. Um, but it's very, very easy to go for years and years with songwriting or maybe even your whole career or whole, uh, you know, life, I guess without ever actually writing a song without a chorus. But I think it's a really, really, really helpful thing to try to do. But before we dive into the three reasons why you should try to write a song without a chorus, if you haven't already and you want a great way to jumpstart your songwriting and jumpstart your creativity, especially if your creativity has been sort of in a lull state recently, go check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song. It's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide link will be in the description but the basic idea of this guide is something that if you're a new songwriter it gives you 10 different ways to start writing a song if you're not even sure where to start but also as a more seasoned songwriter i talk about this a lot i think it's really really important to change how you start a song because just like if you uh let's, let's say you're on an island right? Where the plane drops you off on the island will probably heavily impact where you actually explore on the island and will heavily impact how you experience the island, right? So in, in the same way, where you start with a song is going to, to have a significant difference on how your song turns out. For example, you know, the best way to write a killer bass line for your song is actually to start with writing the bass line. So this gives you five different ways from a lyrical standpoint to start writing a song and five from a musical standpoint. So if you're a lyrics first type person or music first type person, there are five ways for you. I always say this and I am going to continue to say it, but whichever one you're more comfortable with, whichever one you tend towards, especially if you've only done one exclusively, I highly encourage you to try the other method. I used to always, always, always be lyrics first. And then when I started sort of forcing myself to try music first more, eventually I actually learned that music first works better for me um, because it just, it just ends up being a better overall song 
specifically because it's easier to get the music right. And at least for me, editing the lyrics into something really good is an easier thing than editing the music into something really good that fits the lyrics. Um, and as I've talked about before, songwriting is a funnel. I know we're covering all the things that I talk about, but songwriting is a funnel. So the idea of that is a funnel is wide at the top, narrow at the bottom, right? So basically with songwriting and really anything creatively, right? Uh, with each decision you make, you have less creative room for the next decision, right? So once you pick a key for a song, you've given yourself some constraints. Once you have a tempo for a song, you now have more constraints. Once you have a chord progression, your melody becomes a little bit limited. Once you have a melody, right? Now the syllables and the amount of, well, the amount of syllables and 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 even, you know, where the, the, um, where the emphases are in your lyrics are going to be constrained to what the, what the melody demands, right? So um, that's just a basic example of, of the idea of songwriting as a funnel. So anyway, that being said, the idea is the stuff you write at the beginning tends to have the most creative room. And then as you go on, you have less and less creative room because you are more and more constrained. So, Regardless of which one you've preferred in the past, I highly recommend using the other one. Again, this is songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Now let's talk about why you shouldn't write a or No, you should write a song. With, I was going to say you shouldn't write a chorus. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I am trying to say three reasons why you should write a song, at least one song, without a chorus. So if you're feeling creatively dry right now, Here's your challenge. Next song, you're going to be writing without a chorus. Here's three reasons why you should do this. The first one is that it will force you to tell the story or the central idea of the story in a different way because you can't rely on the chorus bringing the theme and bringing the central idea together, right? Which is is often a crutch that we can can use. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? The idea of the main idea of your song being in the chorus makes sense. The chorus is the part that you keep coming back to, that you keep repeating, that you keep harping on, right? It's like a theme in, in, in a movie or a theme in a book. These are things that, that keep coming back up, right? That's how, that's how you sort of bang it home. That's how, how you make sure that people understand, like, here's a theme, here's a theme. You don't just like throw it in there for a second and then move on and never come back to it. And a chorus, by definition, is a part of a song that repeats and is throughout the song, right? Usually a song repeats a chorus at least three times, right? Some, some songs will go farther and have four choruses or maybe even five or six maybe, but wow, you're pushing it at that point. Um, but usually at least three, right? Even two is fairly rare, uh, it's definitely on the on, on the on the um, lesser end. So that's the place where we often have the ideas that sort of tie our whole song together, which is great. That's exactly how a chorus should be used. But when we have a song without a chorus, it opens up a chance to tell a more linear story without the central idea that keeps coming back up, right? Because now you're going to have a format that's more like an AABA format or an AAA format, right? So a lot of like American songbook songs, right? Like older 
30s, 20s, and you know, 1800s songs tend to be in this format. If you look at uh, older hymns, for example, hymns tend to be in an AAA format. Well, let's be honest, AAAA, they almost all have four verses, and no church ever, ever, ever sings the third verse, ever. <laughs> um, I don't know why the third verse is like always the worst verse or the one that that's avoided, but uh, whatever. Um, or or AABA, right? So in the context of AABA, A's, A sections would effectively be verses. And the B section would be what sometimes is referred to as a middle eight or a bridge section, right? It's not a chorus, um, just because it's an alternate section, right? Because it's not something that repeats. And the, those A sections have different lyrics throughout um, and are fundamentally more like verses. So in these formats, and of course you can have alterations of this, right? I'm not saying you must have verse, verse, bridge, verse, or verse, 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 right? Of course you can, you can play with this. You can do a bunch of different things. But the idea is that you don't have that pattern of sort of go, climbing up a mountain, coming back down, climbing up a mountain, falling off a cliff, right? That you usually have with, say you have a verse and then you gain energy into that pre-chorus and then you gain energy into the chorus and, and, and your story can progress in a certain way and then you go back and then you, t you tell more of the, s the story with the next verse and then you go back to that central theme in the chorus, right? Now... We don't have that chorus to introduce the central theme within the first minute of the song. Um, maybe your chorus isn't in the first minute of the song, but, you know, give or take. The, the tendency is that with a song that has a chorus, the chorus tends to be the high point of a song. And the tendency is that you get to the chorus sometime in the first minute or maybe minute and a half of your song. So in a way, people have already heard the best part of your song within the first minute and a half of a four-minute song. Which, again, can be fine. Many songs operate that way, and it's totally fine, and it works great. But when you're using a format that doesn't have a chorus, it gives you this opportunity to sort of have that big reveal at the end of the song or get to the main point at the end of the song and slowly build towards it, right? Because you don't have this theme you keep going back to in the chorus. You can tell a story, right? A three-part story. You can almost have a trilogy, if you will, right? Maybe not the best way to look at it because a trilogy is three different stories that all sort of tend to tie together and and there's a certain story arc that a trilogy tends to follow, right? Like the second part of a trilogy tends to be where everything goes wrong. Um, you know, think Star Wars Episode Five, for instance. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of forget now, but like really if you just take fi Episode Five for itself, it's a, it's a pretty dark ending, right? Luke's hand is cut off. He gets his butt kicked by the bad guy who's Darth Vader. Uh, and there's the introduction of of uh, the Emperor, really, for the first time. So he's looming large, and and you know, and Han Solo may or may not be dying, right? Because he's carbon frozen. So really, Episode Five ends on a quite dark note. Um, and 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 a lot of times trilogies work that way. All to say, I'm not saying that your AAA needs to be that way. But this gives you an opportunity to tell your story in a different way than you otherwise would. For example, I wrote a song, it's called Better Days Tonight, that effectively it's A-A-A-A. There's four verses uh, with some like musical interludes a little bit in between. 
um, and then sort of a B section at the end, which is largely musical. It has me doing one line. Uh, well, it's not even a line, really. It's a, it's a word that just is uh, you know, broken up into a big melodic finale thing. And it's all over this like epic guitar solo and all that. So the end of the song is this big climactic thing, but it really is mostly musical in nature. There's not really any uh, lyrical content. So basically what I did is just tell a story, um, really via a bunch of, of symbolisms and and stuff like that. But, but there's effectively a, a, a story that has those four verses that build to it. And the last three words that are sung in that last fourth verse is the title of the song because it gets to that main idea finally at the end. So it gives you sort of that big reveal type thing. And that is a going without a course is a great way to tell a story in that way. Reason number two, it forces you to keep the song interesting. This is one, this is one of the bigger reasons I think I uh, will really help with your arranging. So it forces you to keep the song interesting via arrangement and building and breaking. So in music, change is what keeps songs interesting, right? That's why, especially in pop songs, you'll notice there are shorter and shorter sections, right? Like, for example, a lot of pop songs these days not only have verse, pre-chorus, chorus, but then they often have a post-chorus, so they effectively have four sections that repeat over and over again, and yet the song's still like three minutes long, right? A, a pop song on average is, is shorter than your singer-songwriter song or a song that you like by Radiohead or you know, you know, so, something that's, that's not just pop. Um, and yet they tend to have more sections. So uh, that's partially we have short attention spans, right? So pop is kind of taking advantage of that and, and adding the post-chorus gives yet another earworm, if you will, another thing for you to latch onto, another hook, rather than just having three sections. And the nice part of that is that you sort of get this idea of building and breaking and change for free, right? Because when you go from a verse to a pre-chorus, it literally is a different section, it often is going to have a different chord progression. It is almost definitely going to have a totally different melody. It's also probably going to um, move the story along in a certain way. Usually your pre-chorus doesn't really um, have the same ideas behind it as the verse, right? It's, it's doing something to pivot into the idea of the chorus. And then most of the time, post-choruses sort of just like repeat the last line of the chorus. And then there's, and at least in pop music, there tends to be like the, you know, the synth hook, right? Like there's a bazillion songs that do that now, which by the way, I'm just going to put out there that I think more songs should do. I, I think post-chorus is that, is that thing that right now it feels like mostly only pop music utilizes and the way they utilize it is, uh, works for pop music, um, but uh, I, I, I think I think it would be interesting and we should maybe all decide to make an effort at uh, sort of making the conversion of making a post-chorus not really a pop thing uh, because I think as a song section, it's something that can be utilized by more than just pop. And it, it, it is, but, but for the most part, it feels like the overwhelming amount of post-choruses tend to be in pop music right now. Um, anyway, 
Not the point. Change is what keeps songs interesting, right? So when you have four different sections, it's really easy, even without having the sections be particularly interesting, um, to, to keep people engaged because it keeps, it keeps changing, right? It's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, shorter YouTube videos. If you have a four-minute video and then you have an, another four-minute video that's on something different and another four-minute video that's on something different, it's easier to stay engaged in those 12 minutes than one YouTube video that's 12 minutes long, right? Because it's one subject of the course of 12 minutes, right? There's the same reason why a lot of us tend to watch shows now instead of movies because, you know, half the time I will end up spending as much time watching a TV show as it would take to watch the movie. The difference is when I sign up to watch a movie, I'm signing up for one storyline, one idea, one arc from beginning to end that takes two hours versus when I watch four episodes of a TV show, it takes two hours, uh, but I get four different arcs, right? So if, if one of them sucks, it doesn't matter as much, whereas the movie is sort of this, this bigger thing. So anyway, the idea here being that when we just do a song without a chorus... So then you're definitely not going to have a pre-chorus, right? Because, well, by definition, a pre-chorus leads into a chorus. And you're not going to have a um, post-chorus either. Because, again, by definition, a post-chorus is something that comes after a post-chorus. So you're moving in the opposite direction of what most pop is doing now. Where you are getting almost nothing for free as far as keeping things interesting. So this forces you to keep things interesting with your arrangement. Because you don't have any help from the fundamental music changing, right? Most of the time, when you do a song without a chorus, you are mostly going to be going from verse to verse. And you may have a B section thrown in there. And, you know, you may even have a C section thrown in there. But mostly what you're doing is go from verse, and then you're doing another verse. And then you're doing another verse. So to keep that interesting... Because musically, it's the exact same, right? The melody's going to be the same, and the chords are going to be the same. The lyrics are almost definitely going to be different, but that's not going to keep people engaged, right? If you do three minutes of just, you know, a 30-second verse repeated, people are going to get bored a minute and a half in, right? If you think about it, for most songs, you never have more than two verses in a row, ever, Right? At absolute most, before your first chorus, you have two verses, and then after your first chorus, then you have only one verse. Right, That is the most you ever have of verses in a row, usually. And even that, I feel like, is becoming less and less common, especially with the rise of the pre-chorus and post-chorus. Uh, at least it feels like there's more use of that than there used to be. I don't actually have any data, data to back that up, so... Uh, <laughs> take what you will from that. But, um, so this forces you, arrangement-wise, in your recording, if you do record it, or in the way you decide to play the song, that you are going to be challenged to keep it interesting. You're going to have to build and break all within these verses, right? Maybe your verse is going to be longer so that it can have its own dynamic energy arc, if you will, within itself. Because if you have an eight-bar 
verse that just repeats over and over again. There's not much of an arc you can have there. But um, before we dive into that, though, let's finish this arrangement idea because now we're starting to get a little bit into point three. But one of my favorite things that I feel like I got personally out of the song I talked about that I wrote way back in the day that uh, does not have a chorus is learning how and being forced to really keep the music interesting via building and breaking and you know making the song bigger and, and doing different arrangement tricks to keep each verse feeling fresh and interesting and building towards that sort of finale I have at the end that's, that's a, a largely musical section where it really explodes. Because again, this is a, really, really this song actually was even built off of a single bass line. The whole song started with a single bass line that's like two measures long. And it's just that over and over again. And forcing myself to make a three minute, 15 second song or something like that out of a f- effectively just that looped over and over and over again was really quite challenging. But it forced me to become a better arranger. So. Point number three on why you should write a song without a chorus. It forces you to write longer, more interesting verses. Now, a little caveat here. It doesn't technically force you to write longer verses. In fact, in the song that I did, I did not actually write longer verses. I just tended to have like musical interludes between the verses and other things to sort of change it up. Um, But typically... When you have a song composed mostly or entirely of verses, or at least devoid of a chorus, the tendency is that instead of having a short verse that you would have, especially in a song that has a pre and post chorus, right? If you have a pre and post chorus, chances are your verse is like four bars long, maybe eight tops, right? You might have an eight bar verse and then a four bar pre chorus or a two bar pre chorus. And then, you know, a four or six bar chorus or something like that. And then maybe another four bars that's a, that's a post chorus. And then you go back to another verse that might even be half the size of the first verse. And it's only four bars, right? Um, but in this case, if you had an eight bar verse and to keep a song a reasonable length, which like for the most part, songs really, I mean, is it even a song if it's below two minutes? Not really. Um, I mean, te- technically, yeah, I guess it would be, but but most songs, right? They don't really feel like a full song. You got to be at least close to three minutes, typically. I assume that number is going to keep going down and down and down as pop music more and more tries to take advantage of people's very very short attention spans. Um, certainly, like I, I feel like I had never seen songs in the two minute range, or it was very rare before. Now it feels like your average song on the radio is even more and more short, but, and I expect that trend to continue because of attention spans, but generally still, right, a song is usually at least three minutes long or close. Anyway, so if you have a three-minute song that you have to fill with mostly just verses, and your verse is only four measures long or eight measures long, we're talking about having having to write like six or seven verses, which, first of all, is 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 going to get really boring, right? Like, how are you going to pull off like that would be quite an arrangement feat if you can have seven verses in a row or eight verses in a row and it actually stays interesting. Chances are your verses are going to get longer. 
and have more of an arc in and of themselves. When you have a verse that is going to lead into a pre-chorus, it's going to lead into a chorus that might even lead into a post-chorus, you don't need to have an arc within your verse because you can have a verse at a certain dynamic energy level, and then the pre-chorus ups the ante a little bit, and then the chorus ups it a little bit, and the post-chorus usually keeps the party going, is how I talked about a post-chorus before, which I still think is fairly accurate. Sometimes it even raises the energy a little bit more, but generally speaking, it sort of keeps that chorus energy and just changes it up. And then it goes back down to a verse, right? And then it goes up to a pre-chorus. So in this case, though, we, we don't have that advantage. So if you have a verse that's the same energy throughout the verse, largely, when it goes just into another verse and that verse goes into another verse, that's going to be a problem. Whereas it wasn't going to be a problem when you had a pre-chorus and chorus. So you're probably going to, A, need to elongate your verse. So maybe instead of an 8-bar verse, you have a 16-bar verse. But you're also going to have to have a verse that has more of a dynamic arc as well. Where chances are, your verse at the beginning and the energy of it is going to be significantly different than the verse at the end. You may even be changing up the melody a bit more rather than just sort of doing as far as a melody, not maybe not doing A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. Instead, melodically and rhythmically, you might be doing something like A, B, A, B, C, D, A, D or something, right? Like you're going to be doing something different to change it up, to make sure that your verse itself has an arc, because otherwise it's going to feel like repeating the same thing over and over and over again. So the verse itself needs to have an arc. Think of it sort of like this. Your verse, when it goes from verse to verse to verse, sort of needs to, to function like an episode of a TV series, where it has... You know, it might contribute to this bigger arc of the whole song or of the whole season, right? And then of the whole show. But the tendency is that a TV episode has its own plot arc, right? Because it is meant to be consumed in a way that you sit, can sit and watch one episode, right? And you don't want to have one episode that is so bad that people don't tune in for the next episode. It needs to have its own arc. You know, the quintessential way to look at this is your average crime show, right? A crime show might have an overarching story that it tells in the background, and then any good one does, or any decent one really does. Um, but it doesn't require you, sitcoms are the same way, right? It doesn't require you to have watched the other stuff because it has an arc in and of itself. It has the crime and then the solve of the crime by the end of the episode. Same with a sitcom, right? A sitcom tends to have a self-contained story per episode, an arc in that episode. And that's what you need to have when you have a verse that goes into another verse that goes into another verse. So between the need to keep the song longer than a minute... <laughs> and the need to keep it interesting and have dynamic movement, it is going to force you to write better, or at least a different style of verse. Because, frankly, we can kind of get away with, and I'm, I'm not saying you should, and I'm not even saying you do, 
right? Nor am I saying that I do. But in theory, none of us do this, right? But the reality is that you can somewhat almost phone in verses in a way if you're getting quickly to a post chorus that's better, that leads into a chorus that's killer, right? I've talked about this before, and the reality is that a song can very much, uh, again, you shouldn't do this, but, you know, if the chorus is great, that tends to cover very much like the weaknesses of, a, of the rest of the song. To the point that if the rest of the song is fairly forgettable, if the, ver- if the chorus is absolutely all-time killer, the song will probably still end up being good, where, or at least perceived as being good or popular or whatever. Um, whereas, you know, if just the verses are good and then your chorus sucks, your song is screwed, right? Like, I, I don't think there's a song out there that's really popular that has a crappy chorus. That's just, that's just, not, that's just not how it's going to work when your song has a chorus. So we've talked about that idea before. It's, it's, quite, it's sort of like the, the, your chorus is sort of like the quarterback, Right? If you have a great all-time quarterback or just a really great quarterback, it, it covers for the weaknesses of the rest of the team. Right, You don't notice how bad the defense is because a quarterback is leading the offense to 35 points a game with not that great wide receivers. Um, so you know the fact that the defense is very good is sort of covered up. Whereas if you injure that quarterback, all of a sudden you realize, oh, the rest of this team is a below 500 team, uh, which if you're not a sports person, basically a, a team that has a losing record. Right, more losses than wins. So, when you write a song without a chorus, your verses can't use the chorus as a crutch anymore. Just like when your starting quarterback is injured and out, your team can't use that quarterback as a crutch to make up for their weaknesses. And the great thing about this, and what can be great about this, right, is it. In the case of the quarterback, right, it can force the rest of the team to step it up so that when the quarterback comes back in, you know, they, they can be even better because they're used to sort of that, that, that crutch that they had. Uh, the, the defense now is like, oh, crap, we can't let the team put up 28 points and still expect to win. Not that, you know, they actively think that, but, you know, everybody's human, right, even professional athletes. So in the same way, the beauty of forcing yourself to write a song without a chorus is it forces you to write these better verses that aren't going to rely on the chorus as a crutch because there is no chorus, right? So now your verses in and of themselves must be interesting and probably will have dynamic movement and a dynamic arc to them. So even if the song turns out crappy, if you write this song that doesn't have a chorus... There are two things I think you will clearly become better at. One is you will have challenged yourself to write a better, more interesting verse or verses. Really, three things, I guess. It, it will also force you to tell a story in a different way. You can't use the chorus as the, the, the emotional crutch, right? The, the crutch of... of you know, the main point that you get to in the song. Instead, you have to sort of reveal the main point or the center of the story in a different way. You've got to figure out what verse to tuck it into, right? Do you save it for the end? Do you have it at the second second to the end? Do you reveal it early? Like, how, how do you play that, right? And lastly, and perhaps one of my favorite ways, is how it forces you to become a better 
arranger. Because, man, you're probably going to need to rely on the arrangement in order to keep a song interesting that is largely the same section repeated over and over and over again with maybe a section or two to mix it up. But certainly the opposite of, you know, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, post-chorus, right? There's so many different sections. And it's going to force you to become a better arranger where you keep things interesting by changing up things within the arrangement because you have to. So I hope this was helpful to you. If it was, or if you found any of my podcasts helpful, the best thing you can do to help me out is to go to Apple Podcasts. Hey, I didn't say iTunes this time. Go me. You, I can hear you all applauding, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review is the best way that you can help me out, help spread the word about this podcast if you find it helpful. If you feel like I don't deserve five stars and this podcast doesn't deserve five stars, if you could be so kind as to, instead of tanking the rating by putting four, three, or two, or one star, um, instead, shoot me an email at joseph at songwritertheory.com, which Joseph is spelled J-O-S-E-P-H. And before you say, Joseph, how condescending of you to explain how to spell the name Joseph. Everybody knows how to spell Joseph. That's what I thought. And then I learned that's not true. A lot of people think it's J-O-E-S-E-P-H, uh, which still blows my mind. But anyway, not that you're one of those people, um, <laughs> but it's J-O-S-E-P-H. Uh, I spell it for those of you who maybe haven't seen Joseph spelled out as much as, well, I have, since that is my name. And I actually go by Joseph, not Joe. Um I very much go by Joseph, not Joe, by the way. Um, like, the the hair on the back of my neck just sticks up when somebody calls me Joe. I, I always tell people, look, the percentage chance that I will like you if you call me Joe is about zero. So don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so if you don't mind, shoot me an email there. Let me know how I can improve uh, and help you out better, things I can cover. Um to earn five stars from you. And, which also brings up, somebody asked about modes a while back. I have not forgotten. If you think I forgot about you, I did not. Uh, in fact, today, I was working on some background material on modes. I'm still trying to figure out the, the best way to go about it, but I'm ac actively working on it now. Uh, it might end up being a podcast and videos combined. I might do like a podcast to break down the idea of modes in general and then have videos to 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 talk about each individual mode uh, I think is the direction I'm going with it, but to be determined, modes is something that I want to cover. I think modes are a great way um, to change up your songwriting. It's, it's it's certainly a great way to, to change up your sound out of the basic major versus minor. Um, but anyway, if you didn't before, don't forget, songwritertheory.com slash free guide if you're interested in a free guide that will give you 10 different ways to start writing a song, five from a lyrical standpoint and five from a musical standpoint. It will help you out. It will help you get you out of your creative uh, sort of rut that you might be in or it will help you just break out of the box a little bit creatively, which I think as as songwriters and any sort of creative is, is one of the greatest things we can do. Uh, certainly something that should feel really fulfilling for any of us. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I 
write a song that feels, you know, maybe it's still in my wheelhouse enough that it feels like a quote unquote Joseph Vidala song, but it's, it's something different that I haven't done before. I love that. Right. Recently I wrote my first song that's based around the organ instead of around piano, which is my most common or guitar, which is my second most common. Um, and the organ's different, right? Like in this first song I had written about that and I, I love it. I love it. So, so now I'm actually working on other songs as we're based around organs. So I might have a holy piece someday that's based around an organ, but little breakthroughs, right. Of, uh, can go a long way. The first song you write, the first song you write that, um, you know, you wrote the baseline first, right. Can be, can be something really cool. I, I still remember the first song I wrote that, you know, was um, I, I sat down at my piano and I said, I am going to write a cool bass line. That's what I'm going to do. I was listening to Don't Stop Believing, I think, way back in the day in high school. And I'm like, dang it, that's a great bass line. I'm going to write a great bass line. And a song was born out of that. Right. And, you know, there, there was other times I said to myself, I was going to write a catchy song. I was going to write a catchy piano song that had a sort of spunky sarcasm to it. And I was dedicated to that idea because I tend towards not catchy songs. I tend towards sort of emotional, uh, darker songs uh, rather than something that is sort of happy sounding. Um, now, I use the happiness for sarcasm, so it's still kind of dark in a different way. Uh, and then the lyrics are uh, pretty, pretty savage, so it's not really happy. It's um, but, But, right... All the songs you do that really break outside of your shell are, are some of the most fulfilling songs, even if you don't think they're one of your best songs. It just feels really great. So highly recommend checking out that guide. Thank you so much to all of you who are listeners. Thank you for all of you who, who uh, shoot me emails. I appreciate every single one of those. I do believe I'm caught up on emails right now. Uh, if not, I, I will give another look here very soon to make sure I am. Uh, I, I did see somebody sent me a video, I think it was. I think it was like a 20-minute video or something really long uh, talking about wanting to change my mind about the Beatles. So I, allow me to just clarify my stance on the Beatles. I, I believe I have only said they are overrated. I'm not saying they're bad. I just say they're overrated. And before you get angry... Keep in mind that they are almost universally considered the greatest band of all time. So in order for them to be overrated, all that means is they is that I'm arguing that they either A, are not the greatest band of all time, because if they are even the second greatest band of all time, they are therefore overrated, right? Because they're rated as the best of all time. I also would argue that they are considered the greatest band of all time by a significant margin to the point that I don't even know who would be ranked at two, according to the world. So I would, ar- I would argue that they are considered head above heels, the greatest band to ever be on the planet Earth. And I just don't think, I, I just don't think that, that, they are, that they are that. They, they kind of are, you know, they did great things. Um, I, I think they're better at writing music than they are at the... Uh, lyric side, frankly. And again, maybe I'm wrong about this. And eventually I think I will watch that video you sent me. Um, emailer. I don't remember your name at the moment. But um, so I will get to that. So I, I reserve the right to change my mind. But for the record, I'm not really a hater. It's just 
I personally don't care for the sound of the Beatles, which is just a personal thing, right? And I think they're overrated. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying the Beatles are trash, right? I do say Taylor Swift is trash. That's different. Boom. First time in a while I've roasted Taylor Swift, I think. So for those of you who missed it, there it is. Not much of a roast. Really just me being mean, I guess. But anyway, um, so just to be clear, my stance on the Beatles and, and Taylor Swift are not the same. Very, very different, actually. Although technically the root of my disdain for Taylor Swift and is is technically the same. It's it really drives me crazy when I think things are overrated. Like that that, that as as a thing for me that like it just drives me crazy. Uh, it's hard for me to like things when I think they're overrated. But anyway, who cares, <laughs> right? You're like Joseph. Just end the freaking podcast. Why am I still listening to this in the car? That is a great question. The answer to that is probably either A, you put your phone in a place where you can't like skip past the rest and you're a responsible driver so you're not looking at your phone or uh, you think to yourself, well, I don't have another podcast lined up so I'm not going to skip through this part. I'm just going to kind of let it play out or maybe you've turned the volume down. Who knows? Well, you know. So anyway, thank you for listening. I appreciate every single one of you and I will talk to you in the next one.